I should have said as well, um, in terms of being patient, you have to be patient with me today. Um, last, yesterday, um, some of you know I, I coach um, varsity basketball, high school basketball. Um, our coach, um, the head coach, I'm the assistant coach, the head coach is having some stomach issues. And so I took the responsibility of head coach yesterday, took a bus full of high school guys down to Dejan yesterday. <clears throat> and um, I tend to be a little bit passionate, people say. In general, uh, I was pretty passionate. I don't think I sat down once. Um, I had to have a couple words. Sam is here. I think he's here somewhere. Um, is he over here? He's here somewhere. Yeah, he could testify. I'm pacing back and forth the entire time, screaming my head off. And, uh, and only like when the game was finished and I sat in the bleachers to watch the other games that I, like, I reached. And I was like, oh, I, I'm going to lose my, I'm going to have no voice. I'm supposed to preach tomorrow. That can be a problem. So I've been guzzling hot tea and all that. Um, so we'll see. I'm going to be calm at first at least. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then we'll see what happens. But anyway, be patient with me uh, as I uh, work, work through my coaching voice. But anyway, uh, again, uh, good morning, church family. So happy, so happy to be here with you today, uh, worshiping the Lord. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful to see a lot of f- familiar faces uh, back with us today after you've traveled and um, come out of quarantine. Uh, welcome back. And for those of you who are still waiting for restrictions to lift or to get out of quarantine, I know it's hard to believe some of you are still in there. Uh, we're certainly thinking of you and hoping that you'll be back with us really soon. Uh, well, if you're, uh, if you're new with us today, uh, first of all, I'll say welcome to you as well. Uh, but for the last two weeks, uh, we've been in a season of 21 days of prayer and fasting together uh, as a gathering. It's a season uh, where we intentionally and purposefully uh, draw near to the Lord together in hopes, in hopes of simply uh, spending quality time uh, with our King, but also, also in hopes of uh, preparing ourselves in this season for anything and everything that the Lord might have for us uh, this year. And so uh, if you've been joining us on this journey, you've been praying and fasting with us, uh, well done. Uh, Keep going, keep pressing on, and let's finish this week strong. Amen? One week left. All right, well, along with that, the last two Sundays together, uh, we've been talking about uh, what it means to find true satisfaction and contentment uh, in the Lord. And essentially, what we've seen from the scriptures is that true satisfaction, uh, true fulfillment, is not found in anything that this world has to offer us, but in Jesus Christ and the righteousness that he offers freely uh, to us. That if you want true joy today, uh, if you want a purpose-filled, meaningful life, uh, you need to go to Jesus, who is the bread of life. And you need to continually hunger and thirst for more of Jesus. Hunger uh, to be with him, hunger to know him, hunger to live like him. And now today, I'm going to be wrapping up this short sermon series, three weeks, I'm being fulfilled uh, by talking about the purpose, uh, the purpose of being filled, the purpose uh, of being 
satisfied. In other, in other words, what is this really all for? And so if you have a Bible with you today, I hope you do. Turn with me to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible uh, with you today, um, that's okay. There should be one in the seat, like a little rack in front of you. Um, you can grab that um, and turn with us to John chapter 7. Of course, you can all use your phones as well. That's fine. John chapter 7. As we open up this uh, section of scripture, uh, it's an extremely, extremely important that we understand the context um, of this passage. Um, I think I, I say that a lot here. It's why I, I tend to you know, talk about the context or the background of the text before I even teach the text. Um, but here in John 7, it's actually very difficult. It's hard uh, to understand the full meaning of Jesus's words uh, without that context. And so I want to spend a few minutes uh, talking about the backdrop here. Uh, what we see in verse 37 of chapter 7, it says this. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up. Now, I know that doesn't seem like much, but just those words there tell us a lot, a whole lot. See, what John, the, the writer, is telling us here, the Apostle John, is that it's the last day of the Feast of Booths. Okay, that's what's happening here. It's the last day of the Feast of Booths, which was one of the three main feasts of Judaism. Right? There is Pentecost, there is Passover, and there is the Feast of Booths. And at this particular feast, we know that Jewish people specifically celebrated the provision and protection that God gave to them during their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. It's the time where we know that the Israelites, they lived in these temporary houses that they called booths. Okay? They were sort of like tents, pop-up tents that they can move and, and store really easily. And so to remember that time, to, to remember how God preserved them and how he eventually brought them into the promised land and, and made them a nation, how he greatly blessed them, there was a week-long feast during the fall, week-long. And John tells us here that we are at the last day of that celebration, the last day which is very significant, very significant, and let me tell you why. See, every day, every day of the feast, there was a ritual that was to be repeated um, every day. And this is what, what happened. Based on Leviticus chapter 23, verse 40, the instruction is this, that the people, the worshipers who celebrate the feast, are to take the fruit of good trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook, all these different types of trees, branches, leaves. They're to take those branches and use them to once again create booths, make these tents to remember the Lord, to remember his goodness. But not only that, they would also take these branches and they would create this um, sort of covering, 
this gigantic covering um, over the altar that was in the temple, right? Thousands, tens of thousands of people would gather together and they're doing this to create this covering over the altar. And then what would happen after that is this, that all these people would be surrounding the altar and the high priest would then go to a pool of water. It's south of the temple, um, Siloam, it was called, the Pool of Siloam. You can still go there today. I've actually been there. Um, it's outside of the temple. He would go there with a golden pitcher. And he would take water from that pool. And he would take that water and he would walk himself back to the temple. And before the people, in front of the altar, underneath the covering, he would pour that water on top of the altar as a remembrance of God miraculously, supernaturally, providing water for the Israelites out of a rock in the desert. Right? You can read about that story in Exodus chapter 17. Okay, I won't go into it all, but you know the story. The people are complaining. They're grumbling. We're going to die of thirst out here. Why did we, we should have stayed in Egypt? And so God says to Moses, go over there with your rod, strike that rock. Water is going to come out. Moses strikes the rock. There's a little anger issue in there. You can read about it. Anyway, water flows miraculously from a rock in the desert. And so this pouring out of water on the altar is a sign of worship and remembrance of that miracle. And when he poured out the water, as he's pouring it out, historians tell us, scholars tell us, that the people were required to recite together, all in one voice, Isaiah chapter 12, verses 3, verse 3, which says this, with joy shall we draw water out of the wells of salvation. They would say that together. With joy shall we draw water out of the wells of salvation. So again, it's, it's all a celebration of God's deliverance, of his salvation, of his provision of food and water during those difficult and trying years together. And as this truth is on their hearts, they would also, right, following that, they would begin to sing, actually. They'd begin to sing from the Psalms, specifically Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. They would say things like this together, singing together. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, sounds a little familiar, The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who, who is like the Lord our God? They would sing, tremble, O Lord. O earth, excuse me, not Lord, he doesn't tremble, we do. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the God of Jacob who turns the rock into a pool of water the flint into a spring of water. They would sing, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but your name be glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. O Israel, trust the Lord. The Lord has remembered us. He will, he has blessed us. 
I love this. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love towards us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. They're singing. They're praising God. That's the scene. See, context matters. This is the most celebratory, by far, the most celebratory of all of the Jewish feasts. It's a party. People are eating together, worshiping together in thanksgiving to God for his salvation and for his supply, particularly of him giving water in the desert. This is the moment we're in, in John 7. It's the last day of the feast, and perhaps... Most scholars believe that this verse takes place at the moment when the crowd, these tens of thousands of people, are surrounding the altar. And the priest has come. He has the pitcher of water to be poured out. And that moment isn't celebratory. It's actually a moment of reverence. It's quietness. Things are still. And at that moment, this happens. Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So Jesus dramatically, in the only way that he can, Jesus dramatically captures this moment. And the text says that he cries out, meaning, meaning very literally, that he yells out at the very top of his voice. He screams he wants the people to hear him. He's, he's not, some people think, oh, he was in the secret. He, he never told people who he was. Jesus told people who he was. He's shouting out who, who he was. In the midst of the people, celebrating God's goodness, celebrating his faithfulness, Jesus says, you are thankful, rightfully so. You are thankful to God for water in the wilderness, water that satisfied the thirst of your forefathers. Now, come to me for water that quenches your soul. See, Jesus, before this, he's, he's just told hungry people that he's the bread of life. We studied this in John 6 just two weeks ago. To go to him and eat the bread, to be filled. And now, in a land, we have to understand the context again, in a land where water is scarce, right? It's not as readily available. There's no co-way, Okay. Water is scarce to a, to a people where water symbolized satisfaction in God's work of salvation and provision. Jesus says, come to me and drink. If you are thirsty, drink of me. Now, we've already talked about how to find satisfaction, how to find fulfillment. That's really been the focus of the teaching uh, the past two Sundays. And so I won't spend too much time here, but I do want us to at least take note of how Jesus invites the people and therefore us to himself. You see there um, three actions, okay? Three actions in Jesus's words, right? There's thirst, there's come, and there's drink. Thirst, come, and drink. Actually, the medieval church father said that this is salvation, to thirst, to come, and to drink. Um, And these are necessary elements of saving faith. So there is thirst, right? Jesus said, 
if anyone thirsts. And notice, this is an open invitation. It's important. It's for anyone. Whoever is thirsty. If anyone is thirsty. And we talked about this last week, right? But there is this craving, a desire. Uh, it's something we, we know and what we feel. I need something. I'm in need. Jesus talking about a thirsty soul, a longing for deliverance, a longing for hope, a longing for peace, a longing for forgiveness, a longing for salvation, for liberation from the power of sin. That if you are thirsting, anyone whose soul is parched, right? that's where this all starts. It starts with a craving, a desire, a thirst. Uh, bottom line, it's a recognition that you are empty. That's where salvation starts. We are empty. And then the second action we see here is come, come. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. And so this signifies that we come to the place where we see Jesus as the only source of soul-satisfying, nourishing, living water. Come, come to Christ. It means with all your heart and with all of your will, you go to Jesus If Jesus were here with us today in person, you would do that. You would go to him with your feet, but he's not here with us physically. And so we do that with our hearts, with our souls, with our mind, with our strength. We go to Jesus. We turn our backs on the world and we choose to abandon sin and self and we throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus, knowing and believing that he is able to save So you need to thirst, you need to go, come to Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. You go to him alone. And then finally, we see there, you drink, right? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, Jesus says. And so this means, it's simple, it means to take, right? To to make it your own. Think of it this way. A river, a river that's flowing through a valley, Um, It doesn't actually do a a thirsty person any good unless they actually drink from it, right? There can be a a flowing river, but unless you bend down and scoop it up and drink of it, you're going to still be thirsty. They have to take the water, receive it, and so it is with Jesus. You need to make him your own. You need to embrace him, take him in. That's what it means to believe in him to spiritually drink Jesus. So listen, I should say this as well very quickly. Um, I hope what you've seen through the duration of these last three weeks, and then again here, is that believing in Jesus is not a moral thing. It has nothing to do with morality. It's not about good works or you being a good person. Actually, the only qualification here, there's one. There's one qualification that you're thirsty. That's it. And that in that thirst, you get your thirst quenched by going to Jesus and embracing him. That's the invitation that Jesus gives to the crowd that day. It's an incredible invitation for you and I as well. And for those who do believe, who do thirst, who come and drink, the promise here is that the Lord will pour into you soul-satisfying, living water. You will be fulfilled, 
filled. That's the point of the text, right? So again, we, we have this scene here. Last day of the feast, the people are in celebration, remembering God's protection, his care, provision. And in that, Jesus yells out, screams out to the crowd, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Come to me, believe in me, and find life. But then it doesn't end there. Jesus actually moves from the invitation to then the purpose of the invitation, which is where we're going to spend the next bulk of our time together. He says, come and be filled. Come to find satisfaction. Come be fulfilled in me and with me. And then he tells them why. Why? It's verse 38. He says this, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So Jesus tells us the purpose of the invitation here. It's the purpose of being filled. Really, this is the, the message today. If you were going to title it, I think it's on the screen as well. Um, if I were to title it today, it would just be that. The purpose of being filled. And let me give you a simple analogy to explain what Jesus is getting at and what he's saying here in this passage. Essentially, what Jesus is saying here is, is that this water, this water that flows to you or into you when you come to Christ, when you are filled, it comes into your life, but it doesn't stay in you, or at least it shouldn't. In other words, you're not a bucket, you're not a reservoir, you are a fountain that becomes a river. That's what Jesus is saying. It's an amazing proclamation, declaration from our Lord. He's saying here, he's saying here, listen, not only do we drink and have the thirst of our hearts and our souls forever quenched, we are forever satisfied. It's a great reality. But not only that, but we also become the fountain and the living river of water to others as it flows through us, from us. And so we see here this incredible impact and purpose that a follower of Jesus has in this world and to the rest of the world. I mean, if you're wondering today, like, do I have purpose? Does my life have meaning? What is my life really about? You are, uh, have so much purpose. Look at this. I mean, you are a river of living water to the world. That's what Jesus is saying about you and I, those who trust and follow him. It's amazing that we are saved, he's saying. We are filled. We receive this soul-refreshing water, a constant, by the way, constant spring of pure, cleansing water. We are redeemed, justified, being sanctified into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ, totally fulfilled. Yes, so that we can be with God forever. That's a big deal. But also... So that in turn, that we would become a fountain, a river of life to the world. Or I'll simply say it this way. We are blessed. You are blessed today to be a blessing. That we are filled together. You are filled to be poured out. Filled with Jesus and the gospel. To go out into the world and to share Jesus and his saving gospel. 
So I want to pause here uh, for just a moment to, to explain this more. And, and ultimately, to hopefully that you see that this is nothing new. That this has always actually been at the heart of God. It's always been a part of his plan. So I'll quickly do this. Okay? If you remember in Genesis, when God created the world and everything in it, creates everything, he gave this very simple and clear command, what's called a mandate, to human beings. He says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, he says this, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. Right? Then, of course, we know sin enters into the world. People decide for themselves it's better to go our own way, to ignore God, to find joy and fulfillment on our own. And I'm skipping a lot here, but it gets so bad, people rebel so harshly against God, turn to themselves and against the Lord, that God has to sort of reset things, if you will. And so he does that by wiping out his creation uh, with a flood, a great flood, a worldwide flood. But even after that flood, we see once again, God reaffirm his purpose for us and for the world. He says to Noah in Genesis chapter 9 verse 1, what? Flood's over, he's going to start again, and what's the mandate? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The plan is the same. So we know clearly from the very beginning, we are called to go out, to expand, to be fruitful, to fill the earth as God's created people, glorifying and praising him as we do it. That is God's desire. But because of our sin, because of our heart's desire to be filled, to have fruit, to be blessed, here's the problem. Is that we want that blessing, but when we get that blessing, our hearts want to keep it for ourselves. That we think it's be blessed to stay blessed and to be blessed. That's the Christian life. That's God's will and his ways. And we're going to see here it's not necessarily the case. I had briefly mentioned Genesis chapter 11 and the story of the Tower of Babel last week. And we're going to go there again. Uh, But I want us to, and the reason for that is I want us to, to see that this story actually reveals so much to us um, about our own hearts. And so this is Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 through 4. Now remember, Noah's been given the mandate, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The population is growing, okay? Um, They've become a, a few generations away from the flood, and now this is what happens. Genesis 11, starting in verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language, Makes sense, since there was eight people on the boat together speaking the same language, right? One language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and butamen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, listen, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now again, remember the mandate from God. It's go out, fill the earth, be a blessing to the world, right? 
But now, what do we see here? These people decide to build a city, a great city, fortified city. And why? It's right there in the text at the end of verse 4. So that they wouldn't be dispersed over the face of the earth. And there are a lot of reasons for that that we see here, both wrong and sinful. We see that they want glory for themselves. They want their names to be praised. But also we see here, they wanted comfort and security. They wanted protection. They thought they could get it for themselves. That rather than obeying God and pouring themselves out to bless the world as God had told them to do, they prioritize their comfort and their safety. They choose to insulate themselves. Now, of course, we know that God's will will always be done. Always. And so, unfortunately for them, he mixes their tongues and their languages. He disperses the people all over the face of the earth, which is his plan. And then you turn over, it's interesting, right after that, you turn over to Genesis chapter 12. The next chapter, the very next scene, if you will. And what does God do? I hope you see where I'm going here with this. He calls a man named Abram. And what happens? Genesis 12, 1 through 2. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Listen. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. Period. That's what we think. That's how we live. Come to church. Do the right thing. Receive Christ. He will bless you. Period. No. He says to Abraham, I will make your name great. I will bless you. Why? Comma. There's a comma there. So that you will be a blessing. The purpose of being blessed. So you see, this has always been, always been at the heart of God. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are filled to be poured out. Filled with the knowledge of the goodness of our great God to go out into the world and to share that goodness. And so the question we have to, we must ask ourselves, each and every one of us, is are we a bucket or are we a fountain? Today, are you a reservoir or are you a river? Are you, as a follower of Jesus, as the body of Christ, as his church, even as a local church here in Hebangchan, in Seoul. What is our pursuit? What's your purpose? What is our purpose together? Because Jesus said, whoever believes in me, in other words, whoever has been filled by me, out of their heart will, will flow rivers of living water. They will pour themselves out for the sake of God, for the sake of his kingdom, and for the sake of the gospel. And let me address why this is even important. Like today, to like our context, like today, 2022, in Seoul, in Itaewon, English-speaking gathering, right? Because I know this, right? We're in Korea. I know that as much. <laughs> We're in Seoul, and if you, as you drive around, especially at night, you'll see, right, there are a lot of churches in our city. And so maybe you're thinking, 
or have thought before, um, do we really need to, or do I need to really pour myself out? It's usually a couple things. I'll let other people pour themselves out. Or do I really need to, especially in a city with all these churches and this presence of Christianity, is there really an urgency for me to pour myself out? Well, let me say this. This is our reality. Here's the reality. Recent, very recent statistics estimate that there are around 2.5 to 3 million foreigners living in Korea. And somewhere between 1.5 and 2 million foreigners living in Seoul. And let me be really clear, because it's important, it's out of the statistic, that this is not counting Korean citizens who prefer English, like so many of you here. Studied in America, but you have a Korean passport. That doesn't count you. There's a lot of people, 2 million foreigners, not including Korean citizens who prefer and speak English. So I took that number, and then I did a really quick search uh, for English-speaking churches. And I didn't just include Seoul. I also included down to Suwon and Incheon. So a big area, our area. And there's a way for you to look at this. You can see all the registered, legally registered churches in those areas. And in Seoul and Incheon and Suwon, the surrounding towns and these cities, there are somewhere, because I don't know where the pandemic, what happened, but there are somewhere between 35 and 40 churches that are registered. So you do the math. Let's take the conservative numbers. 40 churches, 1.5 million people in our city. That's one church for every 37,500 people. But the average size English-speaking church in Seoul, do you know what it is? It's less than 70. So as a community, we have reached maybe... Five to 6,000 people of the 2 million. That's a pretty low statistic. Low number. And again, let's be clear about this, because there's probably even more of this number. That's not even counting Korean passport holders, citizens who speak and prefer English. And so it's very clear there is a need This is not an opinion. It's a fact. The young generation here in Korea is leaving. And many have already left the church. It's been done. There is a need. Oh, it's a great city. It's so convenient. Like, there's so much to do. Did you know? Did you know for the last three years in a row, Korea is top three in the world? Top three in the world in terms of suicide rate, Alcoholism and consumption of pornography? This is our reality. And what this tells us is really simple that there are countless people in our city who are hopeless, joyless, totally empty, all while we are full. So what should we do? God is telling us, commanding us to go. To go to them. To pour ourselves out into them. Jesus is saying to us, because he's always said this, God has always said this, that we are so blessed. 
so that we would be a blessing. So again, Jesus gives us this great, it's an incredible invitation. So many of us here have believed and accepted this. Thirst, come, right? Eat, drink. We've done that. And if you do that, you will be satisfied, fulfilled, saved. But the reason for that invitation, the reason that we are filled beyond that you get to be with him forever is that you would be poured out, that I would be poured out, that we would be a river of living water to a world that is so clearly in desperate need. In desperate need. And I can tell you, because the statistics haven't been done yet for 2021, with the pandemic, things have not gotten better, they've gotten worse. Those suicide rates I talked about, they have gone up 40% in our city. There's been a few hundred people who have passed away from COVID. Last year, they just announced it. Over 12,000 people just in our city took their life last year. There is a need, a desperate need, because people are empty. Well, I just want to, I want to shift things. Because maybe there's this thought, okay, well, how? How do I do this then? Like, I'm, I'm weak, or I don't have enough, do I have enough faith, or I don't know the Bible enough. And so how do we do this? How is this even possible? How can we be a people who are blessing, who are blessing others, loving others, filling others with, with hope and with joy and with grace, mercy and peace? All of these things that are found in Jesus in the gospel. How do we do this? Well, verse 39 explains says this, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Simply put, this happens, this process of being poured into and pouring out, it's possible because of the Holy Spirit. Because of the power and the authority that we receive with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that resides and dwells and lives inside every single follower of Jesus. He, Jesus says here, or John writes to us, he is the river of life that flows through us continually. By the way, that's why the the Apostle Paul said to us, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Literally, be being filled. Continuous filling. Flowing in and out of us. Now, What our text says here in verse 39 is that the Holy Spirit had not come to indwell them yet, had not come to live inside of them yet. That's true, right? We know that. We know that doesn't happen until after Jesus ascends into heaven, after his resurrection from the grave. It was after that, we know, 40 days later, um, on the day of Pentecost, that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to live and to dwell in every single person who puts their faith and their trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Every single person who thirsts, everything, every single person who, who goes to Christ, who drinks of the life and the water that Jesus gives, they are gifted the Holy Spirit. Every single one of you here who has made that decision, you have the Holy Spirit residing in you. And after the Spirit comes on that day of Pentecost, right, flame comes down, people are filled with the Holy Spirit, what happens? What happens? Well, first of all, 
Um, people start speaking in all these languages, right? Um, uh, and, and we know, you know, they're, they're speaking in tongues. People hear in their own voice, which again, we remind people of Tower of Babel. God is unifying people for his mission, right? I could go on another whole sermon there. I won't do that. But what we see happen in Acts chapter 2 is that the river, as predicted, the river begins to flow. The church is birthed, launched. The gospel is preached. The gospel spreads. Thousands and thousands of people come to believe that Jesus is the only one who fulfills and saves. And God's people have been a river blessing the world ever since that day. It's ongoing. And so I just want to encourage us with this. That the beauty of all of this, really everything we've talked about the last three weeks, the beauty of this is that none of this depends on us. None of it. It's not up to our gift set, our natural abilities, our qualifications, our pedigree, our education, our own strength. None of this, this being blessed to be a blessing, none of it depends on you. None of it depends on me. The beauty of the gospel, the goodness and graciousness of God is this, that he looks at humble, hungry, and thirsty people, and he fills them. And then he mercifully gives us himself. God, the Holy Spirit, comes to dwell and reside in us, He takes up residence in us to lead us, to teach us, to empower us, and to strengthen us so that we might be able to pour ourselves out into empty and desperate souls. So taking this all in today, let me ask you, uh, first and foremost, first and foremost, um, have you thirsted, gone to Jesus And drink from the living water that he provides. Do you know Jesus today? I don't mean that you just know things about him. You know facts about him. You would would pass a Bible quiz. Not that. I mean, do you have a relationship with Jesus today? Do you love him? Are you satisfied? Are you fulfilled in him and him alone? And then beyond that, Are you being poured out today? Are you giving of yourself? The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, we studied this not that long ago, but he says to the church at Philippi, he says, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering, he goes on to say, I'll give everything to you for the sake of the gospel. He was saying to them, He was saying to them, I am sacrificially giving my life to God and his mission, even to the point of death. And Paul would give his life for the gospel. But I think more than that, he's saying, not just I'm being poured out now because I'm dying. He was saying, my whole life as I've been living, my whole life has just been being poured out for the kingdom. I've been filled. I've been blessed so much. I've just devoted my life to blessing others. 
sacrificially giving of myself. And so are you and I, or are we, are we living our lives that way? Is your life the Lord's? Are you serving God by serving other people? Are you generous with your time? Are you generous with your talents? You're pouring out your talents for his kingdom. And are you generous with your resources? With everything that God has given you, are you generous towards others? Or, or are you living your life hoarding those things? Keeping what God has given what God has blessed you with, are you keeping those things for yourself? Listen, there is no middle ground here. There's no in-between. You are either a bucket or you're a river. So which are you today? You're either a reservoir or you're a fountain. So church family, let's choose to allow our lives to be used by God, to be a river, a river of living water. Let's have hands open hands to receive all of the blessings that our great God has to offer us. But then let's be willing to pour out those blessings onto others. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are full. We are filled to be poured out. Amen. Let me pray for us.